drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Welcome to the drawing room, a space for intimate and surprising conversations. I'm Andy Park. Black lives marketing, greenwashing and pinkwashing, a veritable laundry list of terms which are all types of woke capitalism. When corporations either want to do good or want to appear to be doing good in society, according to Professor Carl Rhodes. So to what extent are these motivations genuine or cynically about increasing market share and sales or even verging on the fundamentally undemocratic? Professor Rhodes' latest book is Woke Capitalism, How Corporate Morality is Sabotaging Democracy. And he's my guest tonight here in the drawing room. Welcome to you, Carl. Come on in. Take a seat. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. For the longest time, we wanted corporations who maintain that they are part of society to act like it on issues like the environment and civil rights. Then they did. And now they're being shouted down for it. So do we have to be careful what we wish for? I think so. I mean, the corporations have responded in this way, and they've responded in many cases as a way of trying to take over the issues. So we have a range of, you know, significant uh, issues affecting the, the world, you know, big problems like growing inequality, the harmful effects of climate change, you know, the dangers of, of political populism, um, uh, systemic racism. Big, big, big problems that the world faces on on a public level and corporations increasingly weighing in on this and in many cases um, trying to take over while while governments are being uh, left behind um, uh, in the process. So corporations having a much bigger bigger say on issues of public uh, concern, even though they fundamentally uh, represent uh, the private interests of, of their shareholders and owners. So in your first chapter, you suggest that the term woke has become an ad hominem attack from the political right and that undermining uh, serious political causes by calling them woke is a way of diluting resistance to the political status quo. Where do corporations fit into that paradigm? What do you mean by woke capitalism? So generally, I mean, the term woke... uh is used generally in a derisory in a derisory way and a way of criticizing political positions of, of a particular type without really engaging in them. It's a, a very weak form of uh, argumentation and, and a weak form of, of political en- engagement. It's a kind of name-calling approach to criticizing people um, uh, who you don't like, usually because the issues they support are of a progressive or left-wing nature, the kind of things that you mentioned, Black Lives Matter, same-sex marriage, climate activism, animal rights, um, and so forth. What's interesting about woke capitalism is that increasingly large corporations are explicitly supporting these very same causes that were once largely associated with the left, where you would normally associate corporations as being as being a much more attuned with the conservative side of politics. So there's a little bit of a, an about turn where corporations who at once either wouldn't have got involved in politics uh, at all um, in this kind of way, or else would have been, as I say, associated with a very conservative view, socially and economically, are suddenly taking on much more radical views on, on social issues and also very in a very... Um, 
public um, way. Um, often, you know, as the part of huge national uh, debates. I mean, if you look at what was Disney recently in the United States, for example, in, in the issue of uh, of um, uh, education in schools around uh, gender identity and, and, and sexuality. Of course, I suppose we should say in this conversation, a lot of what we're talking about isn't necessarily uh, critiquing the movements or the causes underlying. It's more or less the engagement or involvement of some of the large corporations in them. We're not, you know, talking about the relative merits of the causes themselves. But you advance the position that the problem with woke capitalism lies in shifting the balance of power from the political sphere of democracy to the economic sphere of capitalism. I mean, how does woke capitalism unbalance power? How does it usurp the traditional footholds of uh, democracy, which is state and federal governments? Exactly. And that is the real issue. I mean, it's not so much whether one agrees or disagrees with these political positions that are seen as progressive. I mean, if I look at my personal uh, politics, I generally would support these kind of causes. But I still remain deeply concerned when we have to rely on the uh, private interests of business and corporations suddenly to care about these things. Because, you know, at the heart of the system of democracy that we, that we live in and that we enjoy, and it's known, I'm not suggesting it's perfect in, in any way, and it's always a, you know, a, a horizon that we kind of move towards, but at the heart of the system is the idea that that there is a separation somehow between the public and the private and that people, private interests, primarily economic interests, um, don't define the the public interests. When also the idea that that coming to, to power, the ultimate power in a democracy is the power of the collective power of the people, you know, the idea of popular sovereignty and and the political sovereignty of the people represented in liberal democracies through representative government. And for better or for worse, that's how it works. If suddenly political power is shifting and the people exercising political power do so uh, as a result of the economic power that they hold, then we're moving back into a system of plutocracy, rule by the rich, or even worse, feudalism. And maybe it's fine if, you know, a corporation is is supporting a a cause that I agree with, then I might think that's good, at least something's happening. But that's, you know, that's similar to just hoping that your dictator will be benevolent. I mean, it's not the foundation for a democratic society. And I think often in these arguments, it's so caught up with the issues at hand and forgetting about the broader implications for you know, the, for democratic politics and the democratic way of life that, that's so central to, uh, to countries like Australia. Most political scientists would argue that democracy is about participation and uh, having a broad base of participation. What mm-hmm. do you think of the argument that, you know, when it comes to corporations involving themselves in these political or social issues, there is some form of participation because, uh, you know, consumers can boycott or not opt to make use of those services. They can uh, have a participation on a shareholder level whereby, uh, you know, the influence of the the many controls the ideas of, of the few. What do you make of those relative arguments about participation in woke capitalism? Yeah, I mean, that is, I guess, a form of participation in civic debate 
through economic means. And, and, and you know, these issues of boycotts and so forth have always been uh, a valuable um, political uh, form of, of political action and, and often very, very uh, successful. I mean, we need to be careful not to, uh, you know, equate pol- democracy politically with the ability to influence markets economically. Um, having said that, often corporations do take the uh, particular views because they, they uh, are following um, uh, yeah, what they suspect of their, their customers and so forth. Having said that, if you do look at the political causes that woke, so-called woke corporations uh, back, they tend to be very socially based, okay? They tend to be things, as I said, you know, it's about... Uh, Issues of uh, sexual identity and anti-discrimination and and uh, and racism—all really important problems that absolutely need to be addressed. But when it comes to things that are of a more fundamentally economic nature, we're not getting so much traction from the corporates. You know, we don't get any uh, corporations arguing to increase the minimum wage so that people in the lower economic sphere of, of society can live a better life. Exactly. We we're, exactly. You know, where, where is a corporation arguing for higher tax rates for corporations or, or exactly. a, the, the corporation making the economic argument for a universal basic income? Has that ever yeah. happened? Um, not not to my knowledge, no. I mean, there's, a, there's certain movements from... from uh, millionaires in the US about increasing taxes for millionaires. But I mean, it's a kind of minority thing. But in principle, no, there hasn't. So, and this is the broader danger. Again, you know, the you know, consumers might be helping uh, gauge things. But it's it's the business world that's increasingly controlling what's on and off the political agenda. And again, these things, you know, minimum wage, CO pay, universal basic income, uh, corporate taxation, or even, uh, you know, progressive income taxation, um, are really uh, not considered. And so you see some of the, you know, wealthiest CEOs in the world making these proclamations about caring for stakeholders and so forth. But inequality has been getting fundamentally economic inequality, fundamentally worse across the world uh, for many decades. And there certainly seems no abating that in the same way that CEO pay as a proportion of regular pay. It, that's like it's a, it's a runaway train. These are the real issues that are, that are at hand and that are not, uh, are not on the table at all. And we saw it in the election here, the, the kerfuffle around minimum wage, which seemed to me, like it should have been a complete non-issue that you wouldn't increase wages with, with inflation. But suddenly, this is this is now a political issue as well, and it's. Uh, But again, being removed from the political agenda far too much when they are fundamental fundamental issues. Political populism has been on the rise for years now, and we've seen it play out in the US, in Britain, and in Australia with this anger against the elites. And you mentioned about these great lofty ambitions of uh, billionaire philanthropists. It makes you wonder about uh, the sort of 
the, the, the cleansing of reputation that comes with entering into the, the fray on social issues and whether or not, as you say, that these individuals usurp the role of democratically elected governments or even mm. NGOs and charities. For example, I wonder if the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation hadn't underwritten uh, toilets in the third world if the UN and those relative governments could have stepped in because it is their role, public sanitation. Exactly. I mean, and, and in many cases, you know, you know, the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation is a, is a good example, as well as, you know, in terms of doing this. And it's not to say that the work that foundations do of this kind isn't fundamentally, it doesn't do good for individuals. In this case, it may have done, but also, you know, that role could have been done somewhere else. But we, we kind of, you know, move into a sense where, to what is the extent do we have to rely on these super rich people? And there's also, I mean, another really ex- interesting example just from, from very recently is Elon Musk's takeover attempt on Twitter. Now, Elon Musk is not woke at all. Um, uh, however, if we look at the politics of it, when he is looking to make a massive corporate takeover of a major corporation, as a business person, he's not justifying this primarily in terms of uh, the fact that it's a good investment and he's going to become even more obscenely rich than he already is. He's saying that the reason he's doing this, because he wants to save democracy. He's a, what's the word he uses? He's a free speech fundamentalist. Uh, absolutist. Yes, exactly. Uh, absolutist. Sorry. I mean, and so again, he's this is uh, um, Musk painting himself as a kind of, superhero, a kind of messiah who's going to solve society's problems, not just as a, a person engaged in business for, for the sake of of uh, making money in different ways. So it's really a, a very different perspective, and it's very political in terms of what, what Musk, how Musk positioned himself in terms of that, and dangerous too. Let me ask you about the Roe versus Wade leaked decision. We have corporations now in the United States who are more or less picking sides about this issue, which is an intensely social and also private uh, matter of women's reproductive health. What happens when corporations pick the wrong side of history and end up alienating themselves both from society but from their own employees in some senses as well? Yeah, I mean, this is I mean, this is a very divisive issue, particularly um, in in the United States, which tends to have this kind of polarized, uh, polarized kind of view. And corporations, I think, in this case, being much more, much less um, clear as to as to which side uh, they, they would turn. But again, I mean, again, it echoes the core problems of, of uh, woke capitalism is that, you know, do we want corporations to be having a major say in what happens to women's bodies. Surely that's not up to corporations, it's not up to men, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a, a central political uh, issue about you know, bodily sovereignty, about, um, about you know, women's rights to decide for themselves. You know, should corporations really be having a say in this at all or should the the political process be one that's much different well in fact the whole thing about roe versus wade is about society controlling women's bodies rather than women controlling themselves and that all gets lost when it becomes about about male politicians and and corporations making those decisions 
And the great irony there is if you answer no to that question, that you don't want corporations making any political statements around women's reproductive rights, then I suppose uh, the the irony is you'd probably say, yes, you would like them to be better citizens when it comes to uh, action on climate change. We can't have it both ways, really, can we? No, not at all. And again, it comes to, you know, is this any any business of organizations that are set up primarily for, for economic means? Now, I don't think that means corporations shouldn't necessarily have a position and whether there were, for example, leave arrangements in place for, for women who are terminating pregnancies. But corporations should do this in a way that is responding to the people who should be making the decisions. It shouldn't be the corporations making the decisions themselves and you know um uh, the the decision should be more politically uh based but certainly you know we it, it's certainly important that corporations are able to support their employees who who have issues just in the same way that in, you know increasingly i mean there's still a long way to go but increasingly corporations are uh helping to support uh employees who are facing uh, domestic violence situations, uh, for example, and, and also customers, for that matter, also important. But it shouldn't be for corporations to uh, be the ones calling the shots. They should really be responding to the to to a broader political movement. And in this case, that's a movement that really is is to be driven by uh, 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 democratically by women. On the idea of seizing on the ideology to uh, kind of validate the economics of it all, I mean, you, just then you pointed out how Elon Musk, you know, says that t- owning Twitter will create f- democracy. There is codified language in that that can uh, those in the business community, the business world, and economists can understand uh, because clearly it is all about profits at the end of the day. However, when you flip it on the reverse and when you when these sorts of ideas are occupied uh, when, you know, the, the seizing of the ideology uh, for the greater good for humanity or the citizenry, people can't understand that economic uh, sort of codified language as well as shareholders or CEOs would, could they? It's quite possible because it's quite it's convincing in a sense that, you know, if people are worried about uh, free speech, they might pick up on this. If people are worried about the climate and Mike Cannon Brooks is, is, you know, going to buy uh, a portion of a or attempted to buy um, uh, a large shareholding in in AGL in order to claim the climate crisis and where, you know, the climate anxiety is everywhere. It's it is um, uh, it's very appealing. And and again, you know, you know, the extent to, to which, as we kind of come across these things in our everyday life, we don't necessarily interrogate them. And it, it, it is easy just to become uh, co-opted into this discourse or this, ideo- this ideology, as you put it, and start thinking that, you know, the billionaires are going to save the world. Meanwhile, uh, min- you know, people of minimum wage are increasingly finding it difficult to make ends meet and put food on the table. On ABCRN, I'm Andy Park. Professor Carl Rhodes is my guest tonight here in the drawing room. We're talking about his book, Woke Capitalism. I want to talk about the issues that are currently at play in our federal election. Uh, I mean, have the limits of government or the power of corporations been on display here? The involvement of figures like Simon Holmes Accord or Clive Palmer Mm -hmm. from different ends of the uh, political spectrum certainly hinted the impact that wealth can have 
on politics if it's the passion project of uh, a, a millionaire or billionaire, then it's forced upon the rest of us, if you like. Yeah, I mean, and we are kind of seeing that uh, played out here um, in, in the election. Having said that, if you go back uh, a few months earlier, um, at the time that Scott Morrison uh, came back from the, the climate conference in Glasgow, he was all about spruiking that the, the solution to climate wasn't with won't do government in his terms, but was with can do capitalism. So you get political positions from the right who seem to deliberately want to withdraw from dealing with these issues and allow corporations to step in as well. So, I mean, the problem that we see um, uh, with woke capitalism isn't about just necessarily about, you know, evil capitalists trying to rule the world. It's about a failure of government progressively in the neoliberal era, a failure of government uh, to live up to its duties and to create vacuums that have allowed people of wealth to come and fill them in, in various ways. So we can't just, you know, say, you know, you mentioned uh, Clive Palmer and Simon Holmes of Court. You know, they're stepping into a space that's been left wide open to them by years of this kind of doctrinaire be uh, belief in, in uh, small government and, and uh, um, lack of interference and deregulation. The very same forms of deregulation and uh, withdrawal that allowed uh, corporations to become increasingly powerful over the, you know, this last 30, 40 year period of significant economic change since the the Thatcher-Reagan years of the 80s. Grover Norquist famously said that he wanted to make governments small enough to drown in a bathtub. Um, <laughs> has that push by certain politicians led to this state of public capture by capitalism? I think, I mean, it absolutely has. And it was the fundamental dogma that uh, that emerged as, as powerful in the 1980s, as I said before, when Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States and Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister of the United Kingdom. And it was very deliberately built on an on a ideology of, of um, that focused on, on economic freedom and laissez-faire economics and broad, more broadly, um, uh, various forms of, of uh, social libertarianism. A lot of ideas really that were generated um, in the 1940s, uh, particularly through the, through the work of uh, Friedrich Hayek and his book, um, The Road to Serfdom. And they were put in place in the 1980s to deal with a set of problems that reached ahead in the 1970s about stagflation and, and lack of um, creativity in the economy. Whether that was good or bad is another uh, is another argument. But the fact that now, in the 2020s, we're sticking to an ideology that was that was created in the 1940s, implemented in the 80s to solve a set of problems from the 1970s, it's completely out of whack. We need a new political imagination, and we're not getting one. I wonder if there is another dimension to this. Um in the idea that corporations want to occupy the high moral ground on these certain issues. Maybe it's not about uh, defeating the sales targets and records of the competitor, but winning the internal talent war, bringing over the best people and keeping them there, making them feel like they're part of a social change project as opposed to, well, a profit, end, a profit and dividend creating machine. 
Yeah, I think there is a part of that as well as organisations compete in labour markets and, and you get um, particularly a newer generation of people who are looking for more meaning in their work, who are looking for, to work for organisations they they respect and are not so singularly focused on personal wealth necessarily. I mean, if you think of, you know, people entering the workforce now are the people who are who are the you know Greta Thunberg uh, generation, the kids who are striking uh, from school on the streets uh, in protest against lack of action about climate change. So I think there is a generational change, and I think that is influencing cor corporations. Although, I mean, my hope, uh, Andy, is that this generational change is what's going to get us out of this problem, you know? Um, and I have to admit, my generation has either contributed or just sat by and watched uh, watch this happen. And it really is, uh, there is a need for a time to change, a need for a, a resurrection of, of democratic ideals, uh, uh, you know, a belief in, uh, in, that, in community, a belief in, in, in how, uh, how individual nations can support and nurture all of their citizens, and not just this thing that we've had for so long, which is based, you know, to borrow a terrible phrase, based on the idea of the of a kind of the virtue of selfishness, where it's me, 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 me. All I got to do is look after myself, and this is what the politicians are responding to when you have an election like ours, which is less about any, you know, vision for for the nation and vision for the future for for current and coming generations and instead is all about you know offering policies that will buy people's vote because it, it captures their self-interest so it i you know I'm, I'm even though i think you're right that corporations are responding to this i think the fact that this is a, a feature of the next generation actually fills me with with some hope that things can change because of the wealth of, of that thinking yeah i think there is cause for hope i mean that greta thunberg generation uh, and what they've been taught about the political activism around climate change is that no corporation can, quote, virtue signal their way into a solution. It is up to the political in, uh, representatives that they put into government to, to solve some of these issues. Look, Professor Carl Rose, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you about these issues, and it's uh, been a pleasure to read your book as well. Look, great to talk to you too, Andy. Thanks. Professor Carl Rhodes has been my guest in the drawing room. Carl is the Dean of the Business School at the University of Technology, Sydney, and author of Woke Capitalism, which is out now in Australia through New South Books. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.